Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Kevin, the CEO at Dossian, and they discuss how modern organizations are redefining change management. Dossian's systems integration tooling and the power of reflecting on and learning from your career path and life choices. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good, good opening. So, uh, so as I grew up, my educational background. Um, and had no time to do all the fun things, but you know, double majored in mathematics, industrial engineering, and a minor in computer science. Uh, and in my era, when I was there, you know, the computer was just emerging to, to gain significance, right? So, programming in a number of different languages really wasn't aware of where it would go, but I've actually been able to leverage that throughout my career in the technical background. But you can imagine a five-year journey of having two majors, technical majors, and a minor, pretty hard to get a lot of free electives to do some of the fun things, which I'm now picking up, <clears throat> you know, go into music theory or some of the other areas that I wish I could have had more studies in. But that's okay. You learn how to learn as, as part of you know, the upbringing. You go to school, you major in mathematics, you have, you know, engineering, all of this. Where did you land your first job? So I was recruited straight out of school. Uh, went to school up in Buffalo. And then the Navy was looking for a bunch of industrial engineers. And really, it was, it was part of the, the business side. They wanted the engineer technical mindset to be able to do a better job of cost analysis, budget preparations, being able to, to really have a more definitive process, you know, following the federal government side. Uh, there were a lot of estimates on major military equipments and other assets that were way off and creating a lot of consternation from the budget providers and others and said, hey, we need smart engineers to come in um, and find them and they'll bring the technology with them, which actually I found myself doing of <clears throat> even back in 87 when I graduated, bringing that technical background to greatly simplify a lot of processes that they thought only mainframes or other, other technologies could go do. But, you know, great opportunity, uh, wasn't exactly planned or where I'd intend to do, but, you know, found the excitement, moved to Washington, D.C., big city, you know, a chance to be part there of, you know, kind of the nerve center of the federal government and, uh, you know, never looked back and have shaped that into the career, including all the way up to where I am today, all with more of a technology bend to the business process and, and again, federal government and federal contracting. So are you, are you guys doing federal contracting today? Yeah, yeah. My the current business that I run have been there for five years, Dossian. <clears throat> our mission statement, our focus, and it's been mine for the last 23 years, is how do we extend SAP to make it much simpler, automated, streamlined inside of SAP for those people, those contractors that do business with the government. It's highly regulated, various rules that, that we've all learned, and it basically exploiting our business knowledge that we have on how to do the contracting and really reduce that high bar to entry. And when I look at things today, I get even more excited where, you know, the amount of money going into infrastructure through our federal government is, you know, in the trillions of dollars. And all that's going to come through is federal contracts and a lot of new market players there. And a lot of them have, uh, and, you know, my, my career has been vetted through SAP and focused on building that out. A lot of them have SAP as their platform for an ERP system and are very, very pleasantly pleased to see they can go adapt Dossian and pivot their business into a new business model and being able to take advantage and, and work on a lot of these federally funded type contracts, you know, without having to go build it themselves or to, to add, you know, other customizations into their, their whole system landscape. That's pretty neat. I like the name. I, at first, when I saw the name, the first time I saw it, I was like, do they make jets? Like it just, it's a really cool <laughs> name. For some reason, I, it sounded like you make jets. And then I had found out that you guys do this work with SAP and I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Um, I was curious, did you pick the name? How did you get involved with Dacian? Great, great, great name. Um, so I'll, I'll give you the name first and then my relationship to Dacian. So the, the founders of Dacian and the, the genesis of the name was back in the early 90s, or excuse me, the late 90s. And they were looking for the right name. The, the truth is the four founders, it was their first name. So there was a Dan, well, he's the Duh in Dacian. 
there were two Simons there, the SS and the guy that created the name, he picked three letters for himself. His name is Ian. You know, that's, that's the truth. We're not the water. We're not a Coca-Cola product. That's Dasani. You know, we've been referred <laughs> to that. Um, but you know, they, they've been part of my experience as I grew up working for SAP focused on the government contracting vertical had done some work in their development group when they had large industry verticals. Then they, we moved over and said, continue doing this, but as a services group, do it uh, basically as custom builds. And uh, what I needed there is brought my business knowledge, but I needed a technical arm and ran into these guys from Dossian that were fantastic technical architects. And they had the SAP technology skills and paired them up with my team that was growing. They were more of the functional architects. And collectively, we did a lot of wonderful solutions. Um, Dossian was also in the forefront. The, as we hit about 2006 with Dossian, we realized that custom solutions don't scale. They don't scale for the customers. They're hard to maintain and they're all one-offs. And this is predating and maybe just the cusp of where we are today with cloud, SaaS, and standardized. Dossian made a pivot in 2006 to build configurable solutions as standard packaged out of the box inside of SAP that could support most of the customers we did and move away from that customization and really improve that standardization. And, and quite candidly, as where we are today with the market is everyone is looking for, even on their ERP platforms, how do I go standard? How do I go SaaS? How do I take advantage of some of these new digital technologies and get there faster? And we've, we've been extremely well positioned and, and you know, actually the market's voting with its wallet by bringing more and more customers to us because that, that's what it's clamoring for uh, with this, you know, the, the, the current technology revolution that we're all a part of. That's pretty interesting. Are you guys public or private? No, we're, we're all private, privately held and had a lot of outside investors uh, showing a lot of interest in us right now, but we still remain privately held for now. Very interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of money out there. I subscribe to a couple uh, like different you know sites that track funding and venture capital trends. Mm-hmm. And man, the amount of money being deployed right now at the corporate level. And it, but it's typically in the larger companies, the companies are like 10 million plus. It's not a ton of money in the smaller companies. But if you're over 10 million, I've been seeing a lot of action happening. We're, we're in that range. We're, we're over the yeah. 10 million hurdle. And uh, I would say right now, I probably don't go by a week where I don't have at least interest levels expressed from three or four different. And it's beyond the venture capitalist side. It's more the private equity side. Uh, yeah. You know, we've been sustainable growth and, and profitability there. And and because we're, we're hooked into the SAP platform, we're hooked into the next generation technologies. It's a, we're, we're also pretty selective about who we're looking for as an investor and where we want to go. And I'm glad that uh, my board includes two of the founding members with myself um, that we, we want to make sure we find the right partner that understands our business, our mission, our focus. And we're, we're extremely committed to our customers as we've carved out our niche. And uh, we actually see a lot of growth in there, but at the same time, want to make sure that we, we do find the right investor that that's going to share our values and want to propel us forward um, and, and meet the needs of our customers. Yeah, you want the relationship to be good and everybody to be on the same page. Yes, yeah, and so you, I'm sure you can appreciate that. There, there is. I would agree with you too that I'd say the the trend line has has gone up almost exponentially in the last six or twelve months. Of so there is a lot of undeployed capital on the sidelines, and seeing a lot of people wanting to do that. And and you're right, there the bar to entry is at least a ten million dollar size, and we've been that way for a number of years and and larger, but. Uh, um, and and also been profitable on top of it, and and starting to we've moved you know beyond the early adopter phase and going into more of the early majority of customers, which is great because you're going to we're seeing that exponential customer acquisition and growth in the business, and at the same time having the right infusion of of the right investor that under, appreciates our business strategy and can you know, complement that. And there, you know, there's, there's a lot of different partners in the investor community and uh, I'm sure we'll find the right one. But in the meantime, we're, we're also enjoying, uh, you know, executing the play that we set off and you know, quite, quite candidly, we've all been bootstrapped to this point, self-funded and, um, and generating the right amount of cash that we can put back in the business to help it grow. Very cool. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I have a question about like the product. Can you give me 
I know you, it looks like you have a number of product lines, but can you give me a, like a concrete example of a customer, they have a problem, why they buy your product and like the solution? Sure, sure. I, I think um, thinking of a couple that, that are there, we, we, we have to break our product down to do it, but reality is we have one large continuous all the way from receiving an RFP and how you would bid that all the way through contract close on every element in between. A lot of these are very regulated processes because the way the U.S. federal government does 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 business. The cool thing is we do it all inside of one platform, an end-to-end digital platform that really has a single digital thread. When we, we look at a lot of, you know, it's almost like a, a radiologist can read an x-ray and know what problems are. We've gotten to the point here where I can look at a systems architecture, a landscape, your business systems, and I can see where the problems are. What we're trying to do is create the business transformation because it's one architecture, one single logon. The, the CISO gets very, very pleased because there's fewer penetration points, a lot simpler from an IT security side, which is paramount to do business with the government. But it's a complete digital thread where the information flows from pricing and estimating into the, the current contract with an award goes through execution and all the way through closeout at the end and, and many other functions in between. All inside your SAP landscape optimized. There are no additional infrastructure, same level of security, high security you get, and the ability to use all of the new digital technologies that SAP is bringing for new UIs, new capabilities to really simplify, not only standardize, but then go simplify the user experience, making it much nicer for them. And now actually us working with the Microsoft team and a lot of the digital IoT technologies on their platform to really create those next generation type solutions that really transform businesses. Yeah, I, I explored uh, doing some government contract work once. And <laughs> when I saw the process, I was like, nope, next, I'll go do something. Like I'll, I'll get it, I'm not gonna specialize here. I'd have to have a full-time staff member that understands this to execute it. Or you could call me. Or I could call you guys. <laughs> Yeah, now, help me understand this a little bit better. All right, so I'm trying to simplify it down a little bit for me. Government contracting, RFP, lifecycle management built on top of SAP. So I have to have SAP in order to use your solution, right? That's, that's correct. And actually a small area built inside of SAP, we tongue in cheek, we refer to us as a bolt-in versus the bolt-on. But yeah, all, all okay. inside the SAP core product, we extend the core inside of SAP. Yep. Do you have any non-government customers? We, we, we do. We're, we also, I, I think our industries, there's adjacent industries that tend to be more in the projectized industries, building the impossible, like engineering construction type companies, picking up automotive type companies, oil and gas companies. Shell Oil is one of our customers, right? Where they manage very, very complex, long-term asset builds and projects and contracts and still don't really want to litter their their ERP core system with outside bolt-ons or custom code. They'd rather do it all inside and we do it seamlessly. So we feed off that digital core all inside of SAP and um, that, that allows them to realize a lot of value. Does SAP have an official app store or how do they do that? They, they do, they have an app store. We have a go-to-market relationship with them. We have a partnership with Microsoft as well. The, you know, a lot of the, the it's, it's a little different because what we're doing is selling a very large solution for a government contractor. Probably 30 to 50% of your business processes would be regulated and driven by Dossi. And a lot of our clients that put in SAP actually refer to more of the Dossian solution um, because it's so pervasive and so many things they have to do, much, much like your experience of realizing if you're really going to pursue federal business, you'd have to have specialists in the organization. So we're, we're able to, uh, uh, you know, realize quite a bit of that, but still help you leverage that for SAP investment uh, and, and get even greater value out of it. Do people ever come to you needing the solution that don't have SAP and then you, you sell them the solution like with SAP? Oh yeah. 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 We, we see it, you know, we refer to those as net new opportunities and we, we see a lot of that as well. Uh, as far as we can tell that, that combination, of the SAP and the breadth, and obviously they're a platform 
that we build on. And they're continuing to invest in technologies like the new UI capability. They separate the front end from the back end. And my team has really done a lot of differentiation and a lot of beyond cool things, things that really drive business value just with simplified screens, all from that user experience level. But we're, we're able to go in there to a net new client and demonstrate because their technologies are going in the breadth of the platform. And, and we take those technologies, convert them into solutions, uh, which, which is really monetizing the platform and, and showing the value for the customers. They look at this and the user community many times was used to more of a ERP mainframe looking environment and have to have to pause and say, are you sure that's that's an ERP system? Uh, because it is a modern UI, modern look and feel, you know, kind of a, a, a very simplified low-code, no-code. And because of that, we see a lot of net new type clients that have no SAP footprint looking to, to entrust that because it's scalable. It's, it is an out-of-the-box type solution. Uh, it does all the niche work, but, but beyond some of the other localized solutions, you've got the power of SAP that's putting in, you know, billion dollars plus of R&D into these technologies. And this is why I love where we're at as a, you know, a part of being a solution provider. We can convert those technologies into value without having to create them. It's really, really, uh, you know, a wonderful time to be where we're at right now of being this digital solutions provider and having all these technologies at our fingertips and converting those into business value. Have you have you guys had any trouble with um, as the SAP versions change, or does SAP like give you release notes, and are they really good about that, so you can make sure that your system stays stable? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. So uh, SAP right now has come back to at least an annual release. We monitor it. We certify all of our solutions through SAP, so it goes through a process. So we, you know, one is to make sure that the code line is perfect. There's no backdoors. It does what it's done functionally. Uh, and our development teams are also collaborating to make sure that we don't know what's in the release till the release comes, but we have a good idea of what they're looking at in terms of release notes and their product roadmaps and have our teams exchanging that to make sure that we're, we're in harmony overall. Um, but, but regardless, almost as soon as they come out with their annual general availability of their what's now called the S4 HANA release, and which, uh, which usually comes out, uh, sometime in the third quarter, um, within a couple months of that, we're already re- retooling our environment, doing our internal tests, and giving our customers the assurance, all certified by SAP, that that solution and the latest release works, so that you know they have the agility to stay up to speed and and to lever all, leverage all the new features and functions, and know that Dossian is just as secure with them in that new release. Nice, nice. Yeah, I had some questions written down earlier about like different sales objections, but I really like you. And uh, I'm curious from a CEO <laughs> perspective, I want to talk about some leadership stuff and then we can circle back to sales objections. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's let's go. So I'm curious. Uh, I'm, it's kind of open-ended, but I'm curious about you know your thoughts on like your personal approach to leadership. Like how do you approach leadership? Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So I appreciate that. Leadership, goes into who you are and you've got to be authentic. It's your moral character. Um, I, I score very high on the belief side. The organization that I've created here at Dossie, and I believe this goes well for niche, small businesses and mission-oriented. Remember, I understand my background, grew up through the military civil service. And, you know, what an organization to appreciate is really mission critical. Um, and there, there's, you know, a lot of leadership books about technology and disruption that I've placed Dossian in that. In my entire organization, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're part of my sales team, my development team, my services team, my executive team, right? We all share the, the customer centricity is all part of our values, right? Matter of fact, my, my value statement is hopefully eloquent, but also simplified as we put our customers' needs and the, the business's needs ahead of our own personal objections, or, or hopefully what we do is we align all three of them very well. And you, you have to, you know, we're required that because the markets we serve in, because of the complexity. And what brings me a lot of joy as a leader is when I, I talk frequently to my customer base and they speak of Dossian as a huge strategic supplier. I am north of the standard that you mentioned earlier in terms of size, but you know, I'm using the same sense of companies that you know fetch valuations that are measured in the trillions of dollars. 
and, and show up in that same sentence with them as far as strategic business importance goes. And I think that says a lot to, to what we've created here, but you've, you know, really believe in that. And that's a big part of our success is we've had to create that mission critical organization and everything we do in our leadership actions, we have monthly ops calls or excuse me, weekly ops calls where we give kudos and everything is done along our values line, our mission, our vision statement, you know, to make sure that we're living that and, and hold each other accountable for that. Yeah, that's why I like asking leadership questions to CEOs because <laughs> uh, never, never shy. They're always direct, and I really enjoy it too. So I'm curious, um, what's the most like? If we're gonna get deep and like open up a little bit, uh, what's the most impactful leadership lesson that you've learned personally? Yeah, that, that that's a great one. I'll I'll tell you early in my career, and ironically, it doesn't come from technology, but it comes into the mission critical nature. Uh, working my way through college. It's a personal experience. Um, I worked in a hospital as an orderly. The nurses didn't have the strength to do CPR. And I think I was below the age of 18. I'm not sure if it was legal. But when you came home to tell your folks, I saved someone's life today, um, right? And I think that's bubbled into my personal passion and, and leadership style, which is, hey, you know, things that we're doing and now using technology as that lever are going to impact and make lives simpler and better for everyone, right? And, and that focus on the customers. But, uh, you know, it, it's gone from there. I've run 100-person-plus organizations nearing that size here and at Dossian and others and really enjoy that of making a difference in their lives and your customers' lives. But that, you know, when, when I get asked that question, hopefully it doesn't generate too much surprise. And I've had a number of close second amazing experiences, but I can't really read anything higher than saving someone's life overall, but it just, it, it creates a, you know, an out-of-body type experience on yourself and, and where you try to go with everything else. And, and hopefully that works. This is a technology call and I do believe in the technology side, but, you know, have a lot of reverence for the first responders and people that are on the front lines and doing that type of work, which has really helped me to create that energy and enthusiasm of really that mission critical type organization. That's crazy. You got to save somebody's life. Yeah, at, at age 17 or 18. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was, you know, hallmark of my career. And I don't, don't get me wrong. I've had a number of really, really personally rewarding experiences in my business career, you know, uh, post my college education. But, uh, but that's one that as I get asked that question uh, often, you know, I, I can't deny it. that's my authenticity. I have to point back to that experience. Yeah. When I was um, 13, I saved somebody from drowning. So they fell, they, um, they were walking near a pool and you know, that little uh, thing where you put the pool thermometer in the little basket Yes. and they stepped on that wrong and they fell and it broke their leg in half and they were hanging upside down in the pool and they couldn't do a sit up to get up. Um, and I was the only person there and I was like, Whoa. And you know, got them out. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, it, it- I think there's something it's in the nurturing side in our experiences as you know, a lot of us get called to lead, but you know, as, as a leader, you have to be authentic. You've got to be able to care for your employees, care for your customers and, and everyone that's connected to leadership. And in, in the case of technology, there's so many different ecosystems and partners and others that are there, but it's those early experiences. You know, those are our formative years that you and I had that, that almost compel us into these areas. And, you know, I, I don't know that we intended to do that. You probably didn't intend to be there, but it was your natural instincts that said, you know, this is what I need to go do. And you did it. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it creates a wonderful background, you know, that need to, to accomplish things. As a CEO, you know, my, my job is to establish the right leadership, the right culture, build the right team, protect that maniacally and then to grow and nurture that as, as we go forward and uh, you know really proud of what my team's accomplished and you know take take a lot of pride in doing that it's as I say people that want to be the CEO it is the greatest job in the world and at times it can be the loneliest <laughs> job in the world as well but uh, you know it's um, you know it, and maybe indirectly I'm saving some lives as well as part of it yeah yeah man you brought i haven't thought about that in a long time wow you brought up some some old memories you know i think one of the interesting things as you were talking was um when you experience something like that i was thinking about like the pressures at work being a ceo 
I have never felt something more physiologically intense than the adrenaline that I felt like when that was happening. Um, and I couldn't sleep. I was sick to my stomach. It was just like adrenaline, adrenaline, adrenaline. And um, I was, as you were describing it and talking about it, I was thinking, even on my worst day as a CEO, I, I haven't ever felt like that much of a of a of a response. That was like such an intense human moment, I guess to say. Oh, ab- absolutely. It's 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 one of those things that had an impact in your life, and especially early in the years. And you know, it it it's a call to lead because of that, because the passion. Or, you know, don't don't get me wrong, the intensity is there, right? And you know, it it gives you new respect when you think of our folks that are in the military. That are in harm's way, right? I I was in a civil service, so the equivalent of shore duty. T- tell me what that is. What is the civil service? Yeah, civil service means you're working side by side with the military, but you're not in uniform. So you're you're a civilian there. You're you know I was a buyer for the government, what they call a contracting officer, or doing various work or policymaker, which is extremely important. But you know when you weren't, I was not in the military itself. I was working for the Defense Department. But, you know, when it's called to deploy, you didn't do it. And actually, a lot of pride that I've taken is I, I can recall a lot of the organizations that I led tend to be super high-performing teams. I think at one point I was running a services team when I met the Dossian guys. And uh, they likened my team and they, they took affectionately to it really as being the, the Green Berets or special operations, right? The people that could do the unthinkable. And, you know, have a lot of respect for, for everyone there, but also realize when you create that type of culture, that type of huge mission centricity, the type of person that thrives in that environment works, you know, works best in that type of environment and they're attracted to it. And that's not for everybody, right? I mean, everybody's got their own calling and you're trying to balance work, life, family needs and everything else. But, you know, working in that mission critical organization, which is really where the military are, right? They, especially when they're on a mission, they have to be highly focused, dedicated to the mission and that, you know, whatever branch of service you're in. And I, I got to experience that getting to know a lot of them, but to, to realize and some of the stories or the experiences they tell, you know, generate that level of respect. Some guys are in Vietnam or other places just telling me things, you know, just over coffee in the morning or whatever it may be of what they've done and said, wow, I've been this rising star. And because I, I worked really hard, but you know, I didn't have a piece of shrapnel go through my helmet in the jungle in Vietnam and thought, well, that's pretty impactful too that they've been through and you know, generate a lot of respect for, for people that live in those mission critical type industries. Yes. And it's it's always interesting. Like, you know, you have we all have like our our intense or difficult moments in life, but then every once in a while. Like I'll hear, uh, I'll be watching like a Tony Robbins event or something and someone will stand up and say something and my jaw hits the floor and I'm like, whatever, the worst thing that's ever happened to me, like pales in comparison to what what the story, I won't share any of them because they're pretty, (laughs) pretty hard. But um, yeah, it just, uh, if you watch the Tony, uh, Tony Robbins documentary on Netflix, you'll hear some of them. But uh, I just was like blown away and it puts it in perspective. And I think that's one of the things as I'm sort of unwrapping here while while we're talking. I th- I think that's one of the things that does make a good leader is if your bar for difficulty, like if it's really really high, like when whenever you see the Navy SEALs, like you know I think Jocko or you see like the David Goggins and they come and they're talking, it's like you know they're putting their life on the line literally for for work historically, like when they did their serving. So anything they do now, anything that they like, nothing's ever going to be like that difficult. And I, I, what we can learn from leaders, though, is it depends on how you judge your business. That if you're truly going to operate that mission critical segment, you know, life is a series of experiences, and you grow through your experiences. And that's where you know you and I both shared a lot of moments where we were cast without knowing. And it's it's not even by rank, right? Nobody gave you the rank of lifesaver. It you're at the right place, at the right time, and good for that person when you were 13. It puts you in these roles where you know that adrenaline that's created is something you want to recreate and, and hopefully to, to do positive things, not only for yourself, the people that you lead, the customers, the, your, your listeners, right? And I, I view it the same way for myself too, right? How do I, I support my customers? But, but it is an intense standard or nearly intense standard to, to run that mission critical type area, which 
um, you know, in my case, if my systems fail, it looks like fraud to, in the eyes of customers. They miss out on revenues, businesses suffer, people's lives are harmed from there, right? Um, hopefully no one dies because of it, but, but, you know, there are things that are radically changed. And at the same time, with the way digital technology is going, it's, it's kind of a paradox because technology is revamping the experience and creating a lot of business value and transforming and simplifying a lot of businesses. That's part of my industrial engineering career. And what we're doing is, you know, we're, we're disrupting a lot of businesses, which hopefully will create newer and more higher skilled jobs because the technology is handling more and more of it. But nevertheless, you know, it creates an, a bunch of resistance at certain levels of the customer because it's going to create change. And that's that's just the nature of where we are right now. We're, we're in the fourth industrial revolution, you know, driven by, you know, all the digital technology that we have. And it, like I said, it, you know, you also have to carry the empathy for people coming through there and appreciate the change that's going on in those organizations because of the disruption caused by your technology. Was that was that Steve Case's book where he talks about the fourth industrial? Is that his name where he talks about the fourth industrial revolution? There, there's a lot published by it, but but really the the last two industrial revolutions are more of the digital technology revolution. This one being largely enabled by the Internet of Things capability, cloud, five G, and the, all the technologies that are around us, and realizing that you know right now innovations are occurring at light speed. You know we're we're seeing them every day, and and we're we're going through this. Yeah, cases was one, but there's there's a lot of publications on this, and we're we're seeing it now where a lot of my customers and really the business leaders are redefining even IT to be really business transformation and looking for something more. And business transformation means either enabling new business models or greatly simplifying their operating models. Right. So how do I get value out of the investment to where I'm going? And it's really these these enabling technologies. And it's taken someone like Adassian that's converting these technologies into real business value and solutions for them. The sad part is it streamlines operations, um, which is what it's intended to go do. And uh, but what it's going to do is really allow that that worker to be much much smarter, which is why I guess it's classified as you know even though it's technology driven, but a, another industrial revolution. Yeah, you know, one of the first projects that I worked on would shrink an accounting team's size, right? So I would go in, we would implement it, and the two or three people that were excited and wanted to learn and wanted to help, uh, they would be the ones that had the jobs there and the rest of them. But the 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 positive, I see it, I've, I've kind of looked at it in both ways. And uh, at first, sort of my initial reaction was like, oh man, people are losing their jobs. The second thing is, okay, well, the world is evolving and moving forward. And now this company is going to have extra cash. And as a as a business owner, we typically roll our cash back in to grow the business. So it's like those jobs are going away, but now I can maybe hire designers and care more about the look of my product, or I can hire these people and care more about the customer experience of the product. It's not like I'm just, that money is like just going away. It's it's going to be reallocated into more jobs just in a different area. You're spot on. You're, you're exactly there. And that's kind of the way I've been able to rationalize it internally. And this, this is nothing more than society and technology forcing it advancement. I don't know, it's eliminating jobs, it's creating a higher skill level of, of capability in jobs. Um, and there, there's a lot of publications the analysts have, have produced of saying the shape of IT is moving away from the more transactional, keep the lights on, into much more of a strategic enabler. Because of that, the shape of those folks and even the, the business network of the business users is getting to be because of technologies and because of solution providers with Dossian and our secret sauce to developing is we do it together with our customer base to form the industry standards. They're able to take a lot of cost on the business, transform and reinvest, if you may, that that cash that they saved into other areas that are going to force them to invest and stay, you know, remain competitive or even beyond competitive as well. Yeah, I had this conversation. So my father-in-law He's a great man, like the best grandfather. Like I look up to him. I want to be a grandfather like him. You know, he's so good. Um, he's a truck driver, like a UPS. He's been doing it for 30 years. He drives the big semi trucks. And we'll sit down and have a similar conversation multiple times, but at, at family dinners, and he'll ask me how automation's going, right? Because I've known him for about seven years now. And you know, I update him on the Tesla and like when the first deliveries happened with the semi trucks and all of that. 
And, um, you know, the, his mindset is that it'll, it'll never be there. It'll never be good enough. He just doesn't think it's going to happen. <laughs> and I'm like showing him over seven years. I'm like, look, I've, I'm like, look, it, it is happening. I mean, they made an autonomous delivery. This is occurring today. Here's a map of all the autonomous vehicles out there. And it's, um, it kind of feels like a, a, a head in the sand thing. And do you see like customers, are they, are they like putting their head in the sand or are they like up and loving it? Or, or does that not really come into play with your product? Is it not that like controversial? Oh yeah. I think, I think it's controversy for a positive thing. So we're, we're, we're hitting on a thread here of change management and, as I've grown up as a partner in other organizations, driving these far into the, the spectrum of business transformations. there And there's a lot of elements that go into change. And as much as I grew up a technologist and could make the digital technology stand on its head if you want, you can't subtract the human element from it. And I, I think it's almost like the politician's credo that we see where I heard this earlier and I, I don't, you know, it's empirical data, but 25% of the people are going to go with you and, you know, how to get elected. 25% of the people are going to love your message. 25% of the people are going to hate your message no matter what. The success is influencing that other 50%. And uh, I mean, change change is hard. It's difficult. Um, you know, the I, I think in order to go do it, the successful ones are realizing you have to go do, when you look at a transformation, you can't run it as just the, the old traditional technology bake-off. You know, here's uh, 150, 200 business system requirements. That, that is part of it. But you've got to look at it for something bigger is can I really transform my organization? Um, and you can't look at it in a vacuum, right? How do I improve my end-to-end business processing and not just optimize one function? So how do I go drive the whole? And, and it gets all the way down into their leadership and how they do it. And again, the number one element of change management, I, I forget the individual, but you had an individual on your podcast. She was fantastic. I'll, I apologize. I didn't write her name down, but talking about the importance of change. And I just, you know, I want to footstop with that too, that, uh, you know, digital business transformation is not going to get there unless you have a very, very strong, authentic change leadership program, which starts with a ton of communication, authenticity, much like you talked about leadership. Um, you know, those are common elements that are there and, and people are going to be people and you're, you're taking the individuals that are either in fear that if I adopt this, do, do I end up like you mentioned the, the accounting solution you did where only two or three people were there? Uh, you know, they've, they've entire departments have been built up and calcified over these brittle architectures that have been created. And as they look to change to something that's standardized and simplified, and, and they realize there's an investment that has to be a return that comes from it. People start to, to figure it out and are doing it. And what I'm seeing now are the modern day organizations that are driving this or even really, really redefining IT and creating organizations and that becomes more of a business transformation organization and uh, redefining the role of the CIO and others to actually be much more accountable to say the chief operating officer to really make sure that, hey, I don't want to make this investment just to keep the lights on better or cheaper and, and to do more of a managed service. But I really want a strategic transformation where the business can be operating much more efficiently. Um, and all that is fantastic, but I see a lot of them really underestimating the power of people. And much like your experience where you did find two or three people that get it, and there's, there's always some portion of it that really lean into it or are excited and see what it could be. And there's an equal or larger diametrically opposed force without the right coaching or the right communications that can find every reason in the world to not change and, and to go change it. And we, we face that in a positive way every day with things. Um, and it's really a, largely a leadership question. It's how do you view things and how do you look at a transformation event? And then, again, not, not forgetting the power of that communication at all levels, the organization and the examples that the leadership must do. It's, uh, in my opinion, doing a lot of these and a lot of them right now because we're in that, that transformational revolution. Um, that's one area that I think industry as a whole can do a, is going to have to do a much better job if they're, they're really going to realize the value of, of a true digital business transformation. I think as a society or even larger as a race, as a collection of, of people, we're transitioning because 
you know, when I was talking about my father-in-law, he grew up in a time when you learned one trade and that would be the trade you would do forever. And you would get your gold watch and retire and you'd dedicate to the company. And that was how things happened. That was the expectation was set. But what's happened is, you know, no single person raised their hand and said, this is the way it's going to be. Just as a people, we changed. And now there's this new standard of you will likely learn multiple trades over the course of your lifetime and things will change and trades will um, come in and out because some may get automated. And now we're just setting this new standard. And I think the generation coming up right now, uh, they're going to be cool with that. But there's like a 30 year gap of people who are like, if you imagine a spectrum and a gradient, there's a 30 year gradient of people who are across the board. And we just have to, you know, give some grace and some love as we, as we transition through that. Absolutely. Right. If you, if you grew up in that accounting department for 30 years and you just did one facet of accounting that was about to be automated, um, it, it's a, I have empathy. That would be a natural event. And you're, you're absolutely right that with digital technology and the change today and, and us being on this forefront where innovations are there, the adaptability has to be there. And the, the one coaching I would say for that is I do this a lot myself and have routinely gone through a lot of jobs uh, is actually using jobs, right? And his commencement address that Steve Jobs so talked about connecting the dots, looking backwards where he, he said even his calligraphy class in, in college was what, you know, built kind of the standard for Apple, right? Their, their differentiation. And a lot of times it pays to figure out, I have no idea. It wasn't planned on how I got to become the CEO of Dossian. Um, but as you look backwards, you see that all of your experiences led to it. And it helps you to be able to predict the future and look, look forward more and lean into that change. I, I always took an approach even when I was going through of routinely moving into different departments, different jobs, because I felt after about two years, I knew as much as the guy had been there 30 years. But if I could learn the adjacent department more and more, you'd accrete the skills. Uh, even in, in the technology side, I've worked in run leadership and development and services uh, in, in sales and operations. And then you figure out well, where do you go from there, and you know, it's all of a sudden it becomes time to become the CEO and to go define your market, your customers, your culture, and, and the next standard from there. So it's a, you know, I, I would hope people do a lot of reflecting, as which will help them hopefully cope with the change, and, and be able to make that. And usually for me, I've been fortunate. There's always been a signal that it was time to move into the next role and to move forward. And um, and you know, all, obviously those that are able to keep up with the technology side will have an advantage and don't fear it and can leverage it. And I, I hope the generation and you and I might be half a generation apart, but as technology is a mainstay, you know, I, I, I'm a grandfather as well. And my, my two-year-old can be teaching my mother things. Hopefully she's not listening on how to use her iPhone. And, uh, and it, it, it's pretty amazing, right? It just the, you know, the natural skill set because they grew up with it. And, and hopefully that means the adaptability from, for that generation will be there as well. Oh yeah. I have a two and a half year old and almost four year old and they could understand all the gestures needed to get to the content they wanted to watch before they could form sentences. Exactly. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's where my, my two-year-old granddaughter or two years and one month now is, uh, is doing that. It's, it's just, it's a pleasure to watch and it's amazing for me to look at this and see that the natural adaption of technology where she gets it. And, um, which, which says, I think we're okay because the disruption that the technology creates should be within that generation, provided they're exposed to it. And, and again, that's that's a bit of a social question as well. Do, do they have that environment that exposes them to the technology early that's going to be a critical element to their success in the future? Because uh, technology is not going away. If anything, it's, it's driving these transformations. Yeah, the, my favorite thing, um, and then we'll we'll do sales objections. But my favorite thing uh, that I've gotten my kids. So Amazon makes a tablet, and it's for kids, and so it's just an Android operating system. But you can like put it into kid mode, and there's a kid app store, and there's games, and there's puzzles, and it's complete safe zone. They can't get out of that ver you know mode of the app themselves, um, and. It was like, I think it was like less than a hundred bucks, but it's been, I, I go watch her and I see the things that she's doing and I'm blown away. She's learning so much on problem solving words, you know, everything. And, uh, so, uh, 
I really enjoy handing the kids the tablet. They get the tablet for like an hour every night before bed and they get to use it. And yeah. Well, you know, we all have that obligation there to be a teacher as a learner, right? And we have that to our families, to our community. I, I think of my experience as besides another college experience was I was actually teaching at both ends of the spectrum. One was at a, at a school for the handicap where I met my wife. So a lot of great things happened there. Uh, you know, teaching an 18-year-old how to do single-digit arithmetic on his fingers, which was a great accomplishment for him. And and at the same time, I did a two-week program of teaching the more gifted kids how to do programming through turtle graphics or logo graphics. And these were, you know, kids in second grade. They were doing much more advanced computing type skills. Um, and, and same thing, very, very thankful. But but I think part of it is we all have our own obligations to be a learner, but also to give back and to be a teacher in our families, in our communities, in our businesses and others that we do. And, you know, that's all part of the leadership credo as well. Yes, I fully agree. All right. Now, I like this this section of, of sales objections to, because I get good feedback from the audience because typically if people are in like looking for your type of solution, these are the questions they have on their mind and they can get some answers uh, and some insight before they reach out doing like their pre-sales research. Sure. So what are like the top two or three sales objections that that you guys get? And then how do you handle them? Yeah, yeah. So I think the the number one objection comes back into the change management side. So um, one is that, if, if the company is looking for a digital business transformation is to help them understand what that means and what that entails. And, uh, you know, I, I think that maybe that's an overused term at times. So they want to make sure if you're simply looking to swap out, you know, one tire in your car, then you're not looking for a new car. So you're not looking transformative and, to, you know, even beginning to have a discussion of yeah, that being an electric vehicle versus gas powered is, is completely offline. And I think that analogy applies to us. So in, in those objections is to make sure when we hear it more often is, you know, digital business transformation, be prepared for what we're going to interject. And especially in the, the markets that I serve is transforming, you know, 30 to 50% of your business processes and all in the, the number one objection usually comes for how do you do that? And the whole change management that we, we talked exhaustively about is, you know, how do you build that type of program? How do you do that evaluation? Um, especially after 25 years or 30 years of very calcified, million, like 10 million lines of custom code that did the moral equivalent of what Dacian does and a brittle architecture. And then organizations that are solidified around it, departmental structures, no, no shortage of spreadsheets. Um, that, you know, that is daunting to people to think about that you could do away with all that and go standard, which, which again, forces to me to say change management by far eclipses everything when, when you get into that type of conversation. Uh, you know, the, the what other, do you, you just break it up piece by piece. Like, how do you handle that? Uh, do you have a good integration team or. Yeah. You, you need a, you need a great integration team, but I also, you know, the overused cliche is in order to go do that, you've got to really look at the entire end to end solution. Um, you know, a lot of them break things up by value streams and there's benchmarking organizations. And even that tends to to kind of limit where, where the technology could go in the transformation because you're, you're still trying to put it in a box. And we have a lot of solutions that jump even the traditional mega value streams like order to cash or purchase to pay and, and go across both of those. So, you know, in, in this case here, the whole really is greater than the sum of the parts, um, you know, to go do a dossier evaluation is to look at where things are going. Um, but yet we see things branded as a digital transformation to just change out, you know, one myopic piece, if you may, of, of where they're going. And they, they still want to leave in their sacred cows or favorite systems or whatever, which greatly limits the amount of transformative agenda that, that you can have coming out of this. We can still work there, but it's, you know, where are you on that, that transformation continuum and how ready are you and, and are the executives? Obviously with that, um, depending on how far reaching is, you know, cost becomes an issue as an objection too. that if you're really going to truly transform um, everything, not saying it has to take a, you know, a mountain of time, but there is more time than simply swapping out, you know, one feature function for another. Um, right. And, and again, it's, it depends on where you're at. Right. So it, if you're doing a full up end to end business transformation across the whole organization and, 
you know, we, we've heard an example from SAP, one of their, actually one of the founding clients that drove SAP, created 30 different instances of SAP and their transformation is to consolidate that into one. Uh, IT-wise, that's that's daunting, but think of what's going underneath it is how do you harmonize 30 different instances means probably 30 different ways of doing business, uh, you know, across the entire spectrum of ERP processes. And to get that into a more common standard area uh, of an organization that's, you know, you know, over $100 billion of size uh, of worldwide operations is, you know, pretty tall transformative agenda uh, to get things done. And, and obviously, that's not going to be a, a small price tag or, or even a short time frame to do that. But they're doing that because they believe in that they need to get to a standard platform so that they can grow with all the new technologies that are there. And if they can control the environment to be standard, um, you know, really, really betting on where Moore's Law and where things are is new technology is going to be there. And if they're standard, they're going to be able to go further and faster than, you know, living with their current brittle and, you know, multi-dimensional type architectures. Nice, nice. If people want to learn more, how do they find out? How do they learn more about Dacian? And we have a lot of opportunities. One is I'm, I'm happy to have one-on-one conversations with their team about my experiences and, and across any and all industries. Um, we actually have now formed our Dacian guidance group. And, and happy to bring in customers and prospects, kind of birds with a feather, because I really believe, and that's a key point to us driving industry solutions to go shape it, is we want to hear from them and to have a voice to make sure we're covering the entire waterfront of what they need to go do. Uh, and, you know, quite honestly, we learn as much as, as we create, right? As creators, um, we, we can go innovate, but we work with our customers. And as you reach down into those people that are transformative in the business, they have some great ideas. So it's us trying to unlock them and to realize those with, with our technologies as well. Um, and that, that's really how I grew up building industry solutions, how to do that, and would encourage you know people on the podcast. Uh, you can reach out under dossian.com. There's a lot of areas there. Uh, just ask to talk to me. I'm happy to have this conversation with them or engage my team as well. Right? That's, uh, you know, we're, we're pleased to grow just the thought leaders there uh, in this community and be able to, to, again, try to productize that and, and to make that something that's really going to make the, this industry and adjacent industries better as a whole. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.